Hi, I'm Christine Nemec. I manage the Iowa Roadside Management Program at the Tallgrass Prairie Center, and this is the Prairie Farm Podcast. I'm Doug Duran, a landowner trying to be a conservationist. I'm Tabitha Panis, president of the Iowa Prairie Network. I'm Ryan Callahan, director of conservation at Meat Eater. Angela from Axe and Root Homestead. Chris Helzer, the Nebraska director of science for the Nature Conservancy. Judd McCollum from Working Class Bowhunter. Taylor Keene, founder of Sacred Seed. Ryan Bryson of Bryson Wildlife. This is Luke Fritch. This is James Holtz. Joy Van Weingarten. Sam Sohold. Phil Ebert. Julie Meachin. And you are listening to the Prairie Farm. The Prairie Farm. Prairie Farm. Prairie Farm. Prairie Farm Podcast. Prairie Farm Podcast. Welcome to the Prairie Farm Podcast. Christine, how do you pick what species go on the roadside? Like on on the roadsides when you're planting those prairie? Well, I try to pick a wide variety of kinds of species. If you look at a roadside ditch, you have the high area that it goes down to a really low kind of wet area, then it gets high again. So you have wet and dry conditions all within this one little area. So I'll get some species that like wetter conditions, like prairie cordgrass, fox sedge. They do really well in the bottom of the ditch. Yeah. And then as you go up the slope, you'll get you know from medium dry to drier conditions. So basically, I just choose species that do well in different kinds of moisture conditions. I choose grass species that have really good root systems to help stabilize the slopes of the roadside. And I also try to include a wide variety of wildflower species that bloom all across the growing season. So that way you get that beautiful aesthetic interest of something blooming all across the season. You get pollinator habitat from from spring through fall. I've seen those. I mean, they're good mixes. You got a lot of species in there. What I'm curious, what do you pick for the grasses that hold the roots on steep banks? Big blue stem, Indian grass, switchgrass, Canada wild rye, western wheat grass. Really? So any of the basically main ones? Yeah, really? the main ones. The main okay. Because uh, I've heard uh, it called the big five. So you got big yeah, blue, little blue, right. Indian, switchgrass, and cytotsgrama. Yep. And then you're saying Canada wild rye. What about Virginia wild rye? Is that? Sometimes. Sometimes okay. we'll do Virginia wild rye instead of Canada wild rye. It kind of okay. depends on species availability. We almost always do Virginia wild rye now is a replacement for Canada wild rye because people, especially in CRP, people want to hunt and they want their dogs mm-hmm. and it's become like a popular thing to make sure there's not, I try to tell them, Hey, if there's only a little bit of Canada wild rye, it's not going to be, but you know, they, I get it. I get it. They're trying to protect their dogs. How many, one, how many years have you guys been doing the roadside? And two, uh, how many acres have you guys covered? As far as providing a large amount of seed to the counties. In 1998 is when we first got a large federal highway grant. We also got some smaller grants before then to provide seed. Yeah. So I guess total since the early 90s. Okay. Man. And you don't, you're not sure how many acres total or maybe how many miles of road you've covered? My estimate is roughly probably 25 to 30,000 acres of seed we've wow. been providing to counties. How many acres a year? That's about 1,000 acres a year? Roughly. Okay. Lately, it's been more like 1,200 to 1,300 acres a year okay. the last several years. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you, um, do you ever go back to these roadsides and see their success and figure out the different variables that cause their success of establishment? Sometimes if I'm out and about or I've had AmeriCorps members go out and look at some of the nearby plantings. Yeah. What about, so I've wondered this, heavy gravel dust, getting does that affect like early growth because i imagine a big old big blue stem plant it's not going to affect that much but like little seedlings not getting any sun because they're covered in you know what how does that work 
I haven't seen a lot of research about that, but that's mm. a good question. And really dry conditions, like yeah. this year, if there's a lot of dust going out, I'm not yeah. sure. I mean, we see plants growing, but yeah. we just don't know exactly how that affects plants versus wetter years. And I guess, how do you plant into brome? You're, you're like, because those ditches are basically just brome, right? Unless you're really unlucky and then there's miscanthus in there. Right. <laughs> well, a lot of times they're associated with road construction projects. So if there's road grading, it leaves a lot of bare soil. And that's why they have to seed. It's not like, oh, this would be a great place to put some prairie plants. It's because oh. the county engineer says, oh, we have this road regrading project. We need something planted. Or sometimes the ditch fills in with silt from neighboring farmland. And that's what's called yeah. a ditch cleanout, where the county yep. has to go in and excavate the silt from the ditch. And then the road state manager needs to seed. So often yeah. they're planting into to bare soil. Not always, but often. We... <laughs> <laughs> I was I was talking to Joyvin Weingarten. She's a su- South Skunk uh, River project manager, I believe, something like that. But uh, we've become pretty good friends. She's right nearby in the county neighboring ours. And uh, she was talking once about how um, sometimes the, the people who do the excavating and, and the ditch cleanouts will do it just crazy deep. Oh. And her joke is like, that. yep, someone went there and decided they weren't coming back for 30 <laughs> years. You know, they're going to hang out. But you know what's really crazy is how much um, uh, silt and and dirt from farms you see on uh, snowbanks. It's like oh. it was been worrisome the past couple of years. You get those, those uh, snowbanks in the ditches, and then within like several hours, they're covered brown. You know, and you're like, oh man, that's where all our the money, the money making soil, the the what made this Iowa beautiful land beautiful. You know, just blown away in the wind. Right. But man, so when you're working with the roadside, um, the on the like roadside management for these things, who is like doing this work? Because obviously, you can't go out and plant thirteen hundred acres and organize the seed mixes and all those things so what's going on explain to me the organization of this uh, of this project well it's a voluntary program if counties want to they can hire a roadside vegetation manager or they can have someone else on their staff but usually it's a roadside manager that they've hired and that person is responsible for managing their county's roadside vegetation in a strategic sustainable manner so what that means is they can request seed from me they can plant native plants on the roadside you know, that helps stabilize the slopes. Mm-hmm. It helps improve water quality. Yeah, That's one of their main jobs. But the roadside manager also uses reduced mowing, strategic mowing, strategic herbicide use, not just blanket spraying the entire roadside, but just going after the most problematic weeds with herbicides. Yeah, They do a lot with brush control, keeping the roadside safe. So a big job of roadside managers is cutting down brush because brush that's over maybe four inches in diameter, can pose a safety problem to anyone who leaves the roadway. Mm. So those are all different aspects of the roadside manager's job. And my job is to help support them in their role by providing training, networking, the seed, as we mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. So are there any, um, because a lot of the titles you hear is like weed manager or like roadside weed manager. Is that different than the uh, vegetation manager? So the weed manager often called the weed commissioner, mm-hmm. every county is supposed to have a weed commissioner. So that's not really as voluntary, but every oh, county okay. pretty much has a weed commissioner. And their response is to respond, or their job is to respond to weed complaints, hmm. often from county residents. Hmm. And they go out and take care of the weed problem. That's that's their role. It's not so much this holistic managing all the county's roadside vegetation. It's more yeah. just the weeds. Man, that's fascinating. So when a county 
is let's say they they get a vegetation manager so they volunteer they they get it they reach out to you they say hey we've got so many miles of uh of um stuff that we're uh digging out like um d- the clean outs what uh you then say hey we should put natives there is it always native prairie or do you ever recommend anything else that should go in those places it's really up to the county roadside manager or the other county roadside department personnel because they know their county vegetation. We don't recommend native vegetation near intersections or driveways, for example. Safety is always first. Hmm. Yeah. So natives aren't planted in the clear zone. The clear zone is the area that's mowed short close to the pavement. Yeah. And the, the width of that kind of varies depending on how wide the road is or traffic volume, that sort of thing. But natives do not belong in the clear zone for safety reasons. Yeah. But further away from the road... Natives are often good. You know what I see a lot in uh, gravelly areas on the edge is hoary vervain. And oh. I've been told that it's uh, hoary vervain can handle basically any kind of soil. Apparently it grows in gravel and rocks, but uh, it can't handle competition. So it, uh, if you have it in the ditch next to a big blue stem, it's not going to do well. But you can have it grow in a rock as long as there's nothing around it. And, and it does pretty well. Um, we like it... Uh, uh, for fringe plantings. So plants, plantings that are right on the edge where, you know, there might not, there might be rougher clay soil out there, but so what's your experience or I guess, uh, the vegetation managers experience that you've heard with, um, farmers mowing these plantings. That can vary quite a bit from from county to county, kind of depending on county culture. Mm -hmm. There's varying levels of support. Some roadside managers have experienced problems with the neighboring farmer mowing their planting, which is actually illegal because Iowa Code says if if a county has a a roadside plan in place, it's kind of illegal to mess with the planting, to mow it, to spray it. But there are some landowners who see it as weedy. They don't like the appearance or they're afraid it's going to spread into the adjacent farmland. Yeah, which is crazy because they've got herbicides that could just kill anything they want. You know, it's not right. like it's not like sixty years ago where you had to walk beans and be careful of stuff. You could just spray Roundup Ready beans or spray Roundup on Roundup Ready beans. You know, it doesn't matter. You could have you know, well, big blue stem's the one thing that you need some pretty serious herbicides to kill it out because it, my goodness, it's stubborn. We uh, we used to try and backpack spray our big blue stem that would encroach on our Indian grass field. And it just doesn't work. So this oh. year we started, we had to shovel it out. And we've been, so you can't act, we don't have the manpower to shovel out the whole thing um, in one year. So we have to take it in chunks, ten, basically 10 acres at a time. And 10 acres took like almost 100 hours of manpower. Oh, wow. um, yeah, it was a bunch of people sweeping through the field, several different days of doing it. And then everything else we sprayed because it stunted the big blue stem and didn't produce seed uh, in the Indian grass field. So uh, I'm not trying to cause panic. Uh, you're not people that have farmland like corn and beans. They're not going to have issues with big blue stem, especially if you're tilling, you know, and right. or planting cover crops and stuff like that. You're not going to have issues with big blue stem. But my point is, uh, it is kind of silly to worry about, um, plants. Cause it's like one out of every 10 years, you might get something that spreads that won't die from roundup. Like, um, they had the amaranth, um, in 2017 or something like that that kind of spread around um and farmers were freaked out about that but i mean it was like one plant out of you know it and uh i was telling i think i was telling andy i was like look 
I'm in the same boat. Me and my high school classmates could have handled to have a little better or a little more bean walking in our years. <laughs> you know, I, I think it was good for the generation before us that ended up having to walk those beans and uh, get rid of some of those plants. But yeah, so with the roadside and, and with, um, I don't want to say dealing with farmers because lots of farmers are very helpful. They're, they encourage it. They like it. Um, what has been the most uh, like difficult part to work within the county and what has been the best parts in terms of working with those counties to get uh, to get prairie on the roadsides as far as me working with yeah. the counties yeah yeah I think the best parts is just getting to work with people who are really motivated they're really smart it's not the easiest place to restore again because of the the change in topography in that little area it's very visible yeah. but there's just amazing individuals who come up with creative ways to figure out how to plant natives how to interact with the public or county officials. We have one county where they've started adopt a prairie program where landowners can request to yes. have prairie and roadside. So that sort of thing just kind of was that, neat is that like Brian? That. Is that guy's name? Brian? Yeah. 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 I, he was telling me about that where you can adopt a roadside for, um, but that it creates so much buy-in. It connects people to the prairie. That is so cool. So what, what, explain that to me again. What are people doing with that? I believe they contact him and they can actually request for his program to plant prairie. I don't know all the details. I know he has a website and everything for it. And that's kind of going above and beyond. It depends on the roadside manager's duties or the amount of support they have, assistance, that sort of thing. So not every county is able to do that. But that's just one example of something that I've seen people come up with to gain support within their county. That is really, really cool. So then something that's interesting that I think it's really good that – for the most part, through this program, you have a few companies, including ourselves, that bid on, and you don't do it by the mix. Most times when we bid on stuff, we bid, like, we take the whole mix and we bid on it. You do it by the species, and then you mix it here um, for the counties. Is that correct? Well, the counties pick up their bags of seed, and they okay. take it home, oh, and, and they, they mix, mix it. it. Yep. Okay. Well, but the seed you get, for the most part, it's Iowa Ecotype, or at least Iowa Yellow Tagged yep. um, stuff from here. Which is interesting because a lot of people that handpick for us get it out of out of ditches. Now, I don't even know if that's legal. I'm not here to tell them they can't do it, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, so it's in these ditches, and then the Iowa Ecotype seed gets to be brought back in and sold again in Iowa to be to be dispersed elsewhere. So you've got uh, a double dispersing there of that seed, and I think that is really cool. One thing I, I do find interesting. And I'm wondering what you guys are doing about it is brome. There seems to be like a lot of brome that encroaches pretty quickly, which makes sense because there's brome in every ditch everywhere. So if you plant, you know, a mile straight in prairie, well, still on the end of those miles and sometimes across the road, there's brome. How do you, because the brome, I watch it, it's kind of encroaching. How do you, what are you doing about that? When we plant in the roadside, of course, it's, it's usually prepared with herbicide or it's bare or something mm-hmm. like that. We also include a, what's called a cover crop or a nurse crop, something in annual like oats or wheat. So that helps yeah. stabilize the soil and prevent some competition. Some of the species are fairly quickly establishing like Canada wild rye, black-eyed Susan. Yep. So the more early establishing species we can get, well, the less we can get some of that brome encroachment. Yeah. And if the road same manager has the time, it, it kind of varies by planting. We encourage them to do establishment mowing in the first year. That, again, helps increase the prairie plants, helps reduce encroachment by brome. So that the goal is over time, after about three years, you have a nice established standard prairie. And there's 
relatively less brome. So that's yeah. one of the advantages of prey plantings on the roadside. They help slow down the spread of weeds. It doesn't mean they don't have any weeds, but yeah. if the conditions are right, you should have less brome once it's actually established. Hmm. That's interesting. I know because like you guys have the Irvine Prairie mm-hmm. uh, just near here, and it has um, some brome in the waterways there, and you guys are kind of doing some experiments. But one of the things you guys found was that if you plant straight into brome, you don't get anything really in terms of Forbes. You can't mm-hmm. just like go yeah. into Brome. Um, and so we like dormant seeding. If we can, we like to dormant seed. But we tell people more importantly than dormant seeding, you need to kill what's there. So, and a lot of times that means spraying in the fall and spraying in the spring. So usually you have bare dirt, but um, what do you guys usually use to get rid of that Brome? Because Brome's hard to get rid of um, if it's not just bare dirt there. I think the standard is glyphosate. Yeah, but it's, just one spraying of. I, I don't know of like how many oh, applications okay. they do. Of I don't know the details of exactly yeah. how they prepare each site, mm-hmm. but I know that's often used. So, why is the Living Way Trust Fund? Why is that paying for these roadsides? Well, the Living Roadway Trust Fund, the LRTF, was established in the late '80s, and that was basically the culmination of a couple of decades of effort by the Iowa DOT and requests not only from the DOT, but from the counties. So in the 60s, 70s, the DOT was interested in prairie vegetation on the roadsides because it requires less mowing. They're trying to save mm. money. And especially in the 70s with the fuel crisis, they became more interested in, well, let's get these natives in the roadsides. So we have less, less to mow. Let's yeah. save on fuel. And then the 80s, some of the county conservation folks realized that the prairie vegetation was better at outcompeting weeds also. So basically because of the information on the effectiveness of, of prairie plants in reducing weeds and the desire to have reduced mowing, the DOT, the, the legislature, the state legislature established the LRTF in response to these pressures, this interest from the DOT and the counties mm-hmm. to have a source of funding to help support the these practices at the state and the the local hmm. level, the local county and city yeah. level. Man, that is, it's fascinating because uh, when we work with Sailorville Reservoir, Sailorville Lake, and and they, almost every year for several years now, they've been getting it. And the, um, I don't know if he was like the parks director, he works for the Army Corps. Uh, he was saying he like laid out on a graph how much money they'd save in mowing as they continue to do this and it was tens of thousands of dollars it was not a small deal it was a ton of money um within like a couple year period and uh i think i don't know but that presses on like a deeper psychological or sociological level of you know people like clean rows of grass as opposed to quote-unquote messy prairie and beautiful flowers and um, even some of my own family members, they love prairie plants. They don't like prairies, you know, mm-hmm. cause it's, it's our brains like to categorize things. It looks right. better. You know, it's more appealing for that. And, but it, you can't, you can have that. Like you could plant a bunch of plugs, but you, you can only do that so much before all, like if you did an acre of plugs, you're like $10,000, you know, it's not necessarily feasible, but, uh, I do think something that, like it to me, it just seems reasonable that all the roadsides, for the most part, obviously there are places where you said it doesn't make sense, safety doesn't make sense, but all the roadsides get 
something native trees, you know, native trees or shrubs, native uh, grasses and wildflowers. I mean, it just seems like that would be the way to go. If you could, if you could force a change, like whatever you said here in Iowa revolving around prairie or natives or landscape, what would it be? I think just a greater appreciation for not, not seeing them as tall, weedy messes that yeah. they have a lot of, of value Yeah. The, because of the, and we see the tallness, we don't realize how deep the roots are, how extensive and spongy the roots are. And that's where the, a lot of the value comes to. That's why we have the stable slopes. That's why they help reduce mm. weeds is because of those dense root systems beneath the surface. Hmm. It's just, I think it's a a cultural thing. Sometimes it's a value thing, like you said. But the good news is in 2016, the LRTF funded a survey of rural and urban Iowans, and actually only a quarter of Iowans surveyed preferred the mowed park-like look. Really? So that was interesting. The three quarters preferred the taller vegetation. Some of them preferred taller, just monocultures of the same species. Some preferred more diverse prairie. Yeah. So there is actually a sizable amount of people who are okay the taller look but just realizing in some cases in some areas like i don't want my entire yard to be prairie mm-hmm. like i do like the there's a practical reason to have mode areas mm-hmm. in some areas yeah just like the clear zone on roadsides but in other areas there's a lot of benefit to having the taller prairie vegetation hmm. love that yeah but um my wife and i we have planted prairie at basically every place that we've lived and uh we're we just finished flipping a house and are working on the landscaping now. So we're kind of like, okay, how can we do landscaping well um, and uh, involve prairie plants? We'll probably end up doing potted prairie plants in some areas. And then I want to do just, you know, just a 20 by 20, you know, nice little patch of prairie plants, but it's a small enough area that I'm not wanting like lots of big blue stem and switchgrass. Mm -hmm. I want, little blue right. stem and some cytoscroma and then I want really pretty flowers there that bloom from like you were saying with the road that bloom from early spring till late in the fall um and give kind of a hey this actually can look really good um but yeah I don't know the best way to do that also Laura's got me on this kick of uh wild strawberries and I'm all about it I'm trying to have wild strawberries all over my yard um but I want grass I want lawn grass in some of it you know I I like, I like lawn grass. I don't like five acres of lawn grass, but I like some. Right. I want to, I don't want to walk through prairie to get to my car, <laughs> right. you know, you know, just like a jungle. It's really cool about the Irvine prairies is that you guys have really cool pathways, um, out there. So besides the roadside, I assume other parts of the county won't, can't get, um, uh, seed through your program then. Right. right. The the seed I get, the federal highway grants only within the right of way, within the road right of way. Oh, yeah. Well, then what's with the DOT bid that comes out every year? Because you're doing this through the DOT, the the um, Living Road Trust Fund. But what's with their – they have a separate bid. Well, the, the seed I get is through the Federal Highway Administration. Okay. So there's some staff at the DOT, not the LRTF, but other staff at the DOT that helps administer that grant for me. The LRTF – their role in helping support these county programs is to help support grants for equipment or roadside vegetation inventory. So that's how the LRTF helps support the counties, not so much the seed. Early on, the LRTF did provide grants for the counties to purchase seed, but 
98, once we started getting that large federal highway grant, that wasn't needed so much. So now the LRTF yeah. doesn't usually give grants for counties or cities to do seed, unless it's like a little demonstration planting at the, the, begin, the entryway to their city, that sort of thing, but yeah. not the what? practical large areas. But so when you charge people for something, they care about it more. How do you make sure that the counties, you know, appreciate and um, respect the seed you've given them? Well, they're required to send us reports letting us know where they're planting it. They have to submit maps. Hmm. They have to keep track of how they're planting it, if they're hydro-seeding or drilling. Yeah. So, so that's one thing is just that accountability. And they, yeah. they have to provide the—I mean, it's free to them, but they have to provide the equipment, the labor, the time to, yeah. to put that seed in. That's for sure. Not nothing. Yeah. I'll tell you what. So— do most of them have a hydro seeder? Like most counties have a hydro seeder or they share within a several county area? Or I've heard of occasionally a county will share a hydro seeder. Often it's just much better for the county to have their own hydro seeder because there's those narrow windows of opportunity to plant when the yeah. weather's just right. So if the weather's just right, one county needs it and another county, it's just yeah. easier to invest in the hydro seeder. And that's a big way the grant can help from the LRTF is to help offset the cost, part yeah. of the cost of that hydro seeder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to sell a native cedar to, cause we, as, as a lot of our listeners know, we have a native cedar and, uh, we just shipped one out recently. Um, and it's a drop cedar with a harrow attachment It's 10 foot long. The problem is that 10 foot long, that that's not going in a ditch very easily. You know, it'd be very difficult to plant in something like that, which is why I assume that, um, shooting it out of a hydro cedar is the way to go. Um, but another thing that's, Interesting. Do you guys deal with, um, cause we used to sell a lot of certified weed free bales to like the DOT and stuff like that. Did you guys ever mess with those? My understanding was they put them on banks as erosion control, but it had to be certified weed free. Um, do you guys deal with any of those like large straw mats? I'm not aware of many counties using that. I'm not sure if the DOT, okay. I'm, I know what you're talking about. I've seen those. I just uh-huh. haven't heard about it. Yeah. I don't know. We, I mean, we, my understanding is we stopped selling them, uh, partially because they stopped getting bought. And my guess is that wheat or not wheat rye, like winter rye for cover crops started getting bailed because it, uh, um, it was so easy to spray, kill the weeds. You know, you've already got low weed bank because you're in corner beans anyway, and then you could just bail it up and ship it off. But I don't know. Are you doing anything with like the Monarch highway that goes through Iowa up I-35? Since that's more centered along the state, the, mm-hmm. the highway, which is more outside of county jurisdiction, I myself am not that yeah. involved with it. Do you know what they're what they're doing? Cause all I know is I see the signs, but I know like I saw just a we had a report at the conference that uh, um, there's like a big old monarch highway going up in uh, Minnesota. You know anything about that? Yeah, this year Minnesota passed the Highways for Habitat bill. So the purpose of that bill is to encourage integrated roadside vegetation management, basically you know, that ecological approach to ma- roadside management. We've been talking about planting natives, reduced mowing, and all that. They want to do that along 135,000 acres or so of state roadsides. I don't know if it's necessarily all along the Monarch Highway. It might be along other state highways within Minnesota. But basically, they, they talked to me and some other folks in Iowa. They're kind of modeling it after what we've been doing here. That's cool. They're starting at the state level. I think eventually they'd like to get it at the local level. Well, like 135,000 acres. Are they, is that like a 10-year plan? Even at 13,000 acres, for that's a lot for native seed uh, companies to come up with. When they talk about that 
that amount of acres, it doesn't necessarily mean it's all going to be planted. Often mm-hmm. it just means it's going to be managed using, again, like the strategic mowing, oh, yeah. strategic herbicide use, which also helps monarchs and other yeah. insects, wildlife. If you're spraying the weeds less, it doesn't mean you're planting prairie in a particular spot. It just means you're going yeah. out, prioritizing which are the worst weeds to take care of with herbicides. Yeah. That sort of thing. It's that integrated, holistic approach. I think they're applying to 135,000 acres. Not necessarily we're going to plant mm. all of that. I was going to say, I was like, I don't know if all the seed companies in the Midwest could come up with right. 135,000 acres. That'd be a tremendous acres. demand. Yeah, that, that would be crazy. Well, I don't know, maybe, because... Ernst Seed over in Pennsylvania and Milbourne in South Dakota are big. They're big, big. And then you've got us, Allendale, Shooting Star, and then uh, a bunch of um, smaller, you know, do several species, three three or four species pretty efficiently. But uh, I'd still be a tall order. Right. Um, but I don't know, because CRP, like, is might as well be dead right now because uh, we're waiting on that exciting farm bill. <laughs> oh, man. Talk about Farm Bill. Have you been following that at all? Not lately. I've been busy with, the, of course, the road yeah. numbers. But yeah, I know that you're kind of waiting. Or everyone's kind of waiting. Yeah. We, I was talking to NRCS um, employees. What was it? Uh, September 30th, I think, was the day. Or maybe it was 29th. Whatever, the, whatever that Friday was. And a lot of them were like, yeah, we don't know if we're coming in Monday or not. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then... We, comes Monday and they got an emergency 45 days. And so I'd talk to them on the phone and be like, Hey, congrats on your job. That's, <laughs> that's exciting. Um, but my best understanding is they've, they're basically paying all the employees, but they're not continuing all the programs. Like CRP is not getting new sign up. They're paying the CRP payments that have already been agreed oh. upon, but, uh, there's no new sign up, which is not good for seed companies. Um, Right. And it's okay. Usually after there's a year or two of no sign up, there's a huge boom um, of backlog people that want to get things signed up. But uh, it basically means that seed companies hold on to like two or three years worth of uh, seed at a time, which gets pretty tight in our in our trailers. But I don't know. It It is the seed demand is kind of interesting. I mean, you and I, you guys do, the Tallgrass Prairie Center does a really good job of helping get new species out into the marketplace and i asked laura one time she said that you guys never sell it to yourself for your grant so you get all the grant stuff from from outside sources um which i find is really cool like uh because you know there are some counties that sell seed themselves like the counties do and like you know that's probably not optimal for um, private marketplace, but then I don't know. It's complicated, you know, mm-hmm. but so if you were, if you were working in a County, like you personally, you, you were the vegetation manager, what steps would you start to take to have uh, better roadsides or any other programs you think would be really helpful for more natives in your specific County? So I was the newly appointed roadside manager. Yeah. I think first I'd try to establish good communication with the county engineer. I mean, they're really key. Around two-thirds of the road safety managers work for the engineer. Some of them work directly for county conservation. But ultimately, the engineer is responsible for the road and the associated roadside vegetation. So Hmm. ensuring you have good communication, understanding. I would try to understand under what conditions would I be seeding, what kind of projects. Mm -hmm. I would communicate with the board of supervisors, kind of 
establish what I'm doing. And I think something that I would want to do that I've seen really good counties do is establish an advisory committee. And that mm. also helps establish good communication within the, the community is having an advisory committee that's often made up of maybe private individuals, like maybe people who appreciate prairie or there's interest in native vegetation, people from the local university. If there's what a would they advise on? Their role, you know, ideally they have some kind of background in con- their interest in conservation, native plants, that sort of thing. I've seen advisory committees meet anywhere from one to four times a year, usually mm-hmm. maybe once or twice. And the, the advisory committee would help. I would be able to explain what I'm doing to them, and then they could explain things to me. Maybe they have advice. So this is a part mm. of the county. Like I have relationships with this landowner, or I can speak about your program to this school, or that they help with outreach, or they just provide mm-hmm. input. Like here's what I'm doing. Do you have any input? I, I like, I guess I like that dialogue, that communication, that feedback. Yeah. And so they they understand what I'm doing. It just helps engender support and more ideas into native vegetation management. They may be there. They have access to some knowledge or new piece of research I don't know about or connection yeah. within the community. I think that's definitely one of the first things I would do if I was a new road state manager is establish hmm. an advisory committee. That's interesting. Oh, something I meant to ask you. Um, why does the mix change every year for the you and I or the tall grass prairie, uh, center roadside bid so every year you know i mean every year you got big blue stem and switchgrass and and indian grass and black-eyed susan and stuff like that but then there are some things that will be on there one year and not on the next is there a particular reason it's the grasses pretty much stay the same every year the, mm-hmm. the grasses we don't use a ton of grasses but they're the solid yeah they, they work so that's why we tend to use the same grasses unless Sometimes the the seed dealers are out of Canada wild rye by the time we do our seed purchase, so we yeah. switch it out with Virginia wild rye. Or it depends on if we can afford prairie cord grass. That tends to be more expensive. Yeah. So we tend to use roughly the same wildflower and grass species every year, but sometimes it, it just depends on availability. What the what's available? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How do you know what's available? Just by calling around or? We don't really find out until after we put the, the seed uh, bid out. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> then we get the bids back from all the different seed dealers, and we find out, oh, we're sold out of this. Or yeah, we put in our request, and by the time it goes through all the layers, and then you get it, well, then sometimes yeah. it goes out. All the jargon. Because this last year, it came out really late. It came out in, like, yeah. May or something like yeah. that. Where in the past, I think I've gotten it in February. Yeah. Was there a reason that it came out so late? It kind of varies. It's, it's when the federal highways gets their end of the paperwork done and gives us the go-ahead to move forward with the seed purchase. Mm, so. Yeah, because, I mean, they are talking like hundreds of thousands of dollars or like a million bucks, you know, so it's not, I imagine it's not a small process right. for getting right. that money to be pushed through. And there's nothing more exciting than like government red tape on <laughs> projects to, right. to uh, keep us going. Because I remember poor Peyton, Kent and I were at a podcast, I think, and we had to divvy up like, 1200 pounds of switchgrass into seven pound bags or something oh, wow. like that and uh which makes sense because you're trying to split it up into all the different counties for different projects um but uh <laughs> peyton had to do it all by himself yeah yeah and then uh and then of course prairie cord grass which is just not exciting because the seed's really big like switchgrass mm-hmm. it's nice and fine it's easy to pour but prairie cord grass is is, is less so but um, we uh, we appreciate that it's it's kind of hard because there's not 
always huge demand for Iowa ecotype species. There's a few big bids a year, you guys being one of them, that basically makes it worth it economically. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it, there's a lot more value than than just money. But uh, something Kent and I have been thinking about doing is having on our website having an Iowa ecotype only mix. Now, I know other places do it, but we would probably focus on our region. So we would say with everything we have was sourced within 70 miles of us or 50 miles of us um, and uh, do it that way. But let's say let's say someone doesn't have it. None of the Iowa companies have it. Will you go outside of Iowa to get a species? Yeah, when we put the seed out for bid, sometimes they'll come up, the bids will come back will come back and it's not Iowa ecotype. And if that's all of that's available, that's fine. Yeah. How do you how do you rate it? How do you decide like let's say Iowa ecotype comes back in Iowa uh or non Iowa ecotype. Let's say it's Minnesota ecotype. And let's say Minnesota's cheaper, you know, and typically you would just go with the cheaper price as a fair uh, government bid. But what, uh, how do you, you know, decide what you're going to go with? Well, here's a formula that was kind of passed down to me from my predecessors where basically if something's not Iowa ecotype, let's say it's from Iowa, but it's not Iowa ecotype, then maybe a, a 15% penalty would be added. So I add 15% to the cost. Mm. If it's from another state and it's not Iowa ecotype, then maybe it's like 30%. Add to the cost. So there's kind of a little, a little bit of a penalty built into the formula if it's not Iowa ecotype, and that's preferred, of course, because it's local. It's adapted to local Iowa conditions. Yeah. That's why we bid. We prefer the local Iowa ecotype, but other yeah. species will still work if that's just not available. Yeah. As long as it's in the reasonable area. Like if someone in Oregon, which has happened once, someone in Oregon bid, and that's just too far away, I don't have to buy it. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Has anyone ever, like, because a lot of times, and and I'll be frank, we've done this where we realize, oh, we're the only people in the Midwest that have this species. So instead of $30 a pound, we'll just charge $100 a pound because people will pay for it and and uh, and otherwise we'll just run out right away. Like someone will buy us out and then they'll put it up to $100 a pound. Um, but what do you do if, if like Black Eyed Susan that normally goes for like 15 to 20 bucks, what do you do if uh, only one person has it and they say, yeah, it's going to be $200 this year? Do you just go ahead and buy it at that crazy price or it depends on my budget what i've been able to afford with the other species sometimes i'll just buy less amounts of an expensive species just so it's at least included and sometimes i just can't afford it Hmm. what how many seeds square foot are you shooting for at least 15 square feet squares of of just the wildflowers that's always the goal because that's for the and then 25 then of the grasses or I'd say 40, 40 to 50 total of both grasses and the wildflowers. Oh, okay. That's quite a bit. Yeah, because yeah. we're dealing with steep slopes. So we want to make yeah. sure we get lots of really effective coverage. Man, Justin said that there's evidence that basically insects and small mammals and birds eat like a ton of the seed that goes out there. I did not know that. Um, do you guys have any experience with uh, basically no germ happening out in your uh, uh, ditches? Maybe in some conditions. I haven't heard a lot of that. I know they eat some of the seed, but evidently yeah. we include enough seed that yeah. something grows. Yep, yep. The the vermin getting real fat before yeah. they end up eating all the seed. <laughs> no, I get that. Do you guys, um, uh, when you guys are out there planting, you guys always do it in the spring. Um, is the 
main what why instead of that that instead of the fall i've i know plenty of roadside managers that do plant in the fall or oh live, they just get yeah. it from you in the spring right they just okay. pick it up they'll pick it up spring or summer then we encourage them to have it in a cool place to yeah. maintain that seed viability so then they have about a year and a half to plant whatever they pick up so the key is to to store it properly and then plant it when the conditions are right or when they're told to by the engineer ideally you know, when the weather's right i know a lot of roadside managers really prefer dormant seeding in November, December, or fall, or spring. It just all takes yeah. of year. Man, that's wild. It, it's interesting with the roadside uh, management program because it is, in my opinion, a very well-done, efficient use of public land and funds um, that is good for the environment and habitat. Uh, you know, And I feel like it's one of the rare instances where for the most part, besides a few people that don't like how it looks, it really just benefits all uh, all the way around. It's a, a good win-win. Um, so it's part of the reason we really like it. That's why we were at the conference. I'd never been to the conference. There's a lot of people there, like 150 people there. I was for real expecting maybe 30, you know, <laughs> of us sitting in a room. Um, but And it was mostly county roadside managers, um, if I remember correct, plus a, a few other um, highly invested interests, um, which was pretty cool, but that's like a, that's like a big thing. What's the main goal of that conference? The main goal is to encourage sharing of information. So that happens informally. We have Mm. field trips every Thursday afternoon at, at the roadside conference. There's a field trip. There's of course dinner and the meals. So the roadside managers will get together and just exchange information. What's going on in your county? How do you deal yeah. with this situation or that situation? So that there's that informal information exchange. And of course the speakers, we have yeah. lineup of speakers the Thursday and the Friday morning of the conference every year. You know, who's an amazing speaker who would do really well. I was thinking that while I was listening. Kent. Oh, he really, he would be so, I mean, he used to be a high school biology teacher, um, but he's really nerdy into uh, the history of Prairie and um, always always like every day, you know, it'd be a really good place to put Prairie, you know? So he's always thinking about the practical, um, but he's got like a hundred topics. I'm sure he would love to chat about up there. And he is very good at speaking, you know, public speaking. So if, if you're looking for anyone, but I understand that, I don't know if you're wanting uh, private entities represented, but oh, yeah. I'm always looking for ideas. I'm planning the next year's conference. Yeah. You next should fall. So that's great. To you should shoot a, him an idea. email. Yeah. He's yeah. the guy. He's the guy when, uh, I end up doing a lot of our public speaking just by nature of my job. But if it was a choice between me or Kent, my goodness, I'd pick Kent. He's really good at what he does. Anyway, Kent, I hope you're listening to this (laughs) and I would like a Nestle ice cream sandwich for that (laughs) shout out. Speaking of shout out, I got one more question for you. And before I do that, is there anything you would like to plug here? I would just plug the conference. I think a lot of people enjoy it, even prairie enthusiasts. Just keep an yeah. eye out for it and look at the agenda every year. I can I be honest with you? The conference was amazing. The name kind of stinks. I think I think it turns people away when you're like roadside management because anyone who works in the industry understands that's a big deal. There's a lot of roadside right. acres, you know, and farmers probably really like, but like the normal passerby that saw like, Oh, roadside management conference that has nothing to do with me. You know, I'm not saying you should totally rename it. I just, uh, that's my personal opinion. Yeah. Well, that's true. It is mostly for professionals who are directly 
doing something with roadside vegetation or native vegetation. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we do get the public if they're interested in the speaker. We had Doug Tallamy. Yeah. So yeah, that yeah. did draw a lot of the public. Yeah. Sometimes the public will show up just depending on who the speakers are, but that's not the target audience. Yeah. So I understand that. Yeah. I don't know. I'd have to think of something better if I was trying to attract more of the public. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Don't ask me for a better idea. <laughs> just, just me being a critic over here. Um, all right. So you ready for this last question? If sure. If you could snap your fingers and change anything in the world, what would it be? If I could change anything in the world... I would just see people listen more and talk less and be less entrenched in their opinions. That's what I would like to see more meaningful dialogue and listening. That was way too good of an answer. <laughs> well, wow. I feel like I shouldn't say anything after that because now I'm just talking <laughs> no. more and I'm not listening this is as a well. Podcast. It's a little bit different. You've read uh, Stephen Covey's uh, Seven Habits? Yes. Oh, man. Great book. I, uh, people, if you haven't read it, I've got a a family member who started a, a pretty large company and, and she required everybody to read that uh, book who hired, no matter what, janitor, you know, high level executive, you had to read the book. And he talks a lot about listening to understand and then, uh, and then speak in your mind. But Christine, thanks so much for hanging out. This has been a blast. It's, it's such a weird niche program to like talk about in the Iowa roadside, but it affects so many of us, you know, So, well, everyone, remember that we are sponsored and presented by Hoxie Native Seeds, and that is because my dad thinks it is really important that education on prairie is out there, education on conservation, Uh, and he's willing to put his own money on the line for that. And uh, there are things you can do. You don't have to spend money to, uh, to help with conservation. You could share this podcast. You can... It doesn't have to be our podcast. What um, Kyle Larbarger, you know Kyle Larbarger? He, um, Laura and I were just talking about him. You can go follow him on Instagram if you like, you know, being on screens. Just go visit a prairie. That actually changes a lot. Why? How does that help? How does that help conservation? If I'm not actually putting prairie and how did watching these things or sharing these things or just going to visit prairie? Because conservation starts one mind at a time. 